Sumrich Greenfield. We're really excited here to have uh, from Bad Robot, Brian Weinstein, from Bad Robot Games, Anna Sweet, for, a, a pre- I think, one of the most um, comprehensive content creation discussions we've probably ever had, because I think what is so amazing about sort of the Bad Robot story is how many places JJ and Katie have in terms of how they've built up this IP creation vehicle. And so I thought maybe we'd start, Brian, with you. We met each other when you were at CAA and you were doing deals and many things with, you know, sort of kind of taking CAA from just being a talent agency to being so much more than a talent agency. But you left to come to Bad Robot. And I guess maybe it'd be great for everyone to understand sort of what did you see in Bad Robot that attracted you in terms of the size and scale of the opportunity? Uh Sounds good. First of all, thank you, Rich and Brandon. Second of all, the difficulty of me for coming on was that, as I've mentioned to you, I like to listen to your pod and then just support it and assume that other people haven't heard it. And so the risk I took was that people will now realize all I'm doing is repeating what I do. So I think the, the gig is up. But for now, I'll answer your question until until I get called out by everyone else. Um, you know, I was at CA for 12 years and had an incredibly fun run and got to know JJ and Katie, who are, you know, both of whom are my bosses, both of whom were co-CEOs of Bad Robot, a married couple, and just incredible in their own right. And we're really excited about what the next chapter would be in their lives and what they wanted to build and how could they create a company that was inspired by JJ's creativity and the culture and the company that Katie had built, but could do more, that would live beyond them that could tell stories in new platforms and new places. Uh, and that was just too good to be true for me uh, to be alongside them in building you know, this great company with a, with a real creative storytelling soul at you know, what, what I think all of us knew was gonna be this incredible time given the rise of streaming uh, for the film and television business, not to mention their creative desire and business desire to, to cross these other thresholds and platforms like games and other areas we'll talk about. So, um, you know, for me, it was, it was you know, tough to leave a place I loved in CA, but so easy to join, you know, two remarkable entrepreneurs who are building a company I wanted to be a part of. And Bad Robot's been kind of a content creation machine since you started. And now Anna has um, come on board to run the games or interactive division. And Anna, can you just give us a little bit of a a background on yourself and what drew you to Bad Robot? Yeah, so I spent um, seven years at Valve um, as part of the original business and product team that built the Steam platform, uh, which is actually where I originally met Bad Robot. Um, JJ and the team reached out and wanted to collaborate with us on building some gaming experiences together. And for us, it was this awesome opportunity for us to learn about linear entertainment and them to learn about gaming entertainment. And so I had met them a long time ago um, and was just always incredibly excited and impressed by their creative vision. Um, after Valve, um, I went to Oculus. So I did the content strategy launch for the Rift and then from there went into startup life. And so I was at a different startup and Brian called me December of 2019 your moments before everything shut down and said, you know, we're thinking of doing a bigger thing in gaming. Would you be interested in talking to us? So for me, it was just, it's such a creative place. And to bring all of that talent and energy into telling stories and games, it was too exciting to not jump on board with. That's a great segue because what I basically want to get at, I think both of you have sort of watched, I mean, I've been following the media space now for 27 years and sort of what sort of is staggering to me is how all these big media companies, all of them, maybe we'll leave off Warner Media, which has sort of figured it out a little bit, but they basically have not executed on gaming. Like we've seen them build up massive film studios, massive TV studios, do many of the things that Bad Robot does, but they've never been able to extend into games. Or I shouldn't say they've tried, they just haven't done it well. And I guess I'd love it from both of your perspectives. because I'm sure you both look at it from a very... Brian, probably more from the media world that hasn't done it, Anna, more from the gaming world. But it, what's the difference between movies, TV, and gaming? Or how does gaming different? I guess is sort of the big picture question that I want to dig into. 
Well, I mean, I guess I can talk about kind of how we arrived there. And of course, Anna and her partners are taking us, you know, where we hoped we we might be able to go. Um, but, you know, it started with a very simple premise, which was that um, games was a very different business um, and that the creative storytellers and the talented people were not from the film and television business. And we were participants in and had courtside seats to what is a very messy marriage between the games business and Hollywood. Uh, and we got the joke and we understood um, that uh, that there had been a bad history. And so we we married that with one thing we couldn't we couldn't stop from admitting, which is that we love games. JJ uh, is someone who plays games in his spare times. He, lo- he loves them. And it's, you know, he can go back to Infocom references and forward into Fortnite and everything in between. Uh, and we had a colleague of ours who's a, you know, named Dave Baranoff who had spent years working with JJ around game opportunities. Um, and so we had the instinct to do it, but we had seen the wreckage along the way uh, and knew that like any business, it's just going to be about the people. So can we can we bring in the patience we have at storytellers, the idea that that getting something good when it's creative is not linear. It's not, you know, a, a start and a finish and you can clock it simply. But that sort of, you know, breathing room to develop was innate to us. And then we just had to find the right people, which is easier said than done. And we got lucky enough to bring in Anna, who now can take it from here. Yeah, I think I think the honest answer is building games is really hard. It takes a lot of really specialized skill sets and you have to get a team that's going to work very cohesively together. And that that takes time and space to be creative and space to learn to work together. And I think a lot of the the talents that go into making linear entertainment are very similar to those in in games, but not exactly the same. And so I think the thing that we're really excited about for Bad Robot Games is this opportunity to work really closely with those incredibly talented people from the linear side and actually for the first time be in the room sort of when the creation is happening. Like I think a lot of what happens, you know, in the in the past history of linear entertainment to games is the movie was a hit. So I don't know, someone make a game and they license the IP and then, you know, hope that something wonderful happens. And occasionally it does. There's some really great, amazing examples out there, but a lot of times it, it falls flat. And so what we are really excited about is what if we all just got in the room and created that world together? Like, what if we built that IP as one cohesive unit? And then you sort of natu- more naturally have the storylines and the characters that are right for linear and the ones that are right for interactive and those storylines fit together more cohesively. It's just, it's a more interesting and expansive universe. And I think you really only get there, at least for me, at a place like Bad Robot, where we actually can all be in those early phases, really collaborating and bringing those shared, shared, but different talents and viewpoints to the table. Is that why you guys started off with your first project being brand new IP, as opposed to trying to capitalize on on something that was out there so you could work together from from the earliest stages? Yeah, absolutely. So our internal game team um, is is run by Mike Booth. He's the creator of Left 4 Dead. Um, he's an amazing game designer. Um, and so that that team is allowing us to really do exactly that. Like from the earliest phases, what talent from the linear side can we have help us building out that universe? How do we think about from the earliest phases, like streaming is such a huge part of of games now. Like we have all these people at Bad Robot who really know how to make things incredible to watch. So what if we brought that to the game design? What if our games were just as fun to watch as they were to play? Like those are the things we want to start talking about. And I, I think we can only pull it off if we're all working on it together from the very earliest phases of that IP development. And to drill down a little bit, Brian, it sounds like you attributed the failure of the of the linear uh, media studios to just not simply not hiring the right people um, to run things. Is 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 that accurate? I mean, I don't really know the depth of each situation. I just know what mattered for us, which was you know every show we every show we make has to have the right showrunner. You know, every every movie that we um, are able and uh, lucky enough to produce, we have to have the right writers and the right team. And so, you know, I'm, there were really talented people across the ecosystem. 
we gave it a shot, but I think we just realized that as creators and as producers, we weren't going to be able to do it. All the love and admiration we have for games does not make for, you know, decades of experience and knowledge. And so we had to set it up. So we had to actually structure it branded differently. Um, you know, we created a separate entity and we brought in outside shareholders um, who have been great partners who would allow us to build this business to have the scale and the capability. But it was less a judgment of others because, you know, we've been part of part of things in the past that didn't work. It was more recognition that this is hard. It takes time. And it's not just take something and hand it off to somebody else, but build a team. You know, we had one, you know, we've heard from people that can take, you know, five to 10 years to build a studio of people who know how to build something. That's a long time. Um, so we better get started and get started with the right people so that this thing lasts. And I think the appreciation for like how hard it is to make a great movie or how hard it is to create an animated film you know, is, is embedded within our culture. And I think that is the thing you can extend into games. Then you just have to trust that people actually know what they're doing because I know I don't. But, you know, it's just interesting because I think most of media legacy media has sort of just taken this approach of like, this is just too hard. Like to Anna's point, like, it's just, this is hard. You know what? We're just going to license it to game people. Like even with some of the most iconic IP, I mean, you know, and I, I look at all of these studios that Brandon and I know from, you know, earlier stage up to later stage and public companies who license IP from these great media companies because they just haven't been able to build their own internal game development. But I think what I'm hearing from uh, from both of you, but especially from Anna, is just like, by definition, then what you're outputting is something different. It can't be the same as if you're working from day one and building this as it, you know, making the game as an essential part of the content creation process is just going to end up with the end product being different and probably less ambitious just by definition. It's sort of what it feels like. Yeah, I think the thing for me that is really exciting about what we're doing is it's it really is going to be truly cross medium. Like we've always used the word trans medium, which to me is like, okay, we took this thing and we translated it over to this other, other medium and other expression, but we're trying to build something that's inherently cross medium. Like from the very beginning, we thought about the stories and the characters mm -hmm. and how they weave together. And if we do that from the start, it gives us a lot more freedom. Like we don't, we don't have to worry as much about like, is the game going to come out at the same time as the movie? Like it, those things stop mattering if it's all one cohesive universe and we're all just telling stories in this this shared expansive world that at some point customers are going to come in and get to experience in all these different formats. And so I think that's the big distinction for me. And as you guys think about games, um, do you think about it as a piece of larger interactive media ambitions? Where do you stand on sort of the crossover between video and um, and interactive and what video looks like um, in the future, as opposed to interactive being just AAA games. Anna, you wanna go first and I'll follow? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we think these things are colliding quickly. I think that like the line is gonna just it's just going to be shades of gray. It's not going to be two separate things over time. And I mean, that is one of the things that we are really excited about is any sort of new format like that means new genres of games, new ways to tell stories. And so our ambition for Bad Robot Games is to just be constantly reinventing how you tell stories in these formats as they continue to change. Like I, I think a lot of people assume that we would be doing like the big, amazing narrative AAA titles of Bad Robot Games which never say never, but right now we're really, really focused on innovating and like what is the newest, most interesting way to tell a story in a game interactive format. And I think the target for that is always moving and that's what's exciting. So, so maybe, could you maybe dig in a little bit there and explain a little bit what you mean by that? Like if you were gonna, if, since you're building games now and you're clearly not building a AAA game, what are you actually building and how do you isolate what you're doing versus what, you know, uh, a large AAA publisher would be doing right now. So right now, our, so our first game is is AAA. It's it's PC console from our internal development studio. We also have a publishing um, arm of our business that will be working with lots of partners to bring content to market. Um, 
I think that those games will be very varied in genre um, and in target platform. I think there's just so many interesting new technologies in the market right now. Uh, I'm an advisor to Genvid, who I, I know you guys know. Yeah. They recently put Rival Peak out on Facebook. Is Rival Peak a reality television show? Is it a game? Like, what is it? It's this. I'm not even sure it matters, though, does it? Does it even no, matter? It like, doesn't. I don't think the, cons- the consumer doesn't care about these, like, arbitrary silos that somebody decided on in Hollywood years ago. But the, but the interesting thing is it's an entirely new format and it's a really interesting way to tell a story. And so those are the things as we look at all the things we will work on over time at Bad Robot Games, um, we want to be at the cutting edge of these new ways to tell stories. And, and to add to that, if, if you add in what's happening with the distribution platforms, when you think about Netflix's recent announcement, I mean, our job is really very simple to create things that people want to watch uh, or play um, or listen to in some spaces or go or go see live. But at the end of the day, if that's what we focused on, whether you know Netflix succeeds in its ambitions and we really hope it does or others do and we really hope that they do, our job is to do one thing. But as it all sort of comes together and we listen to you guys talking about it every week, it's we don't have to predict, we just have to be there. Um, because it's good. It's all good for us. It's all good for us if everybody succeeds. And one can imagine where we can't predict exactly where it's going. So let's just stick to our knitting and what we're good at, which is going to be about putting things out into the world um, and, and allowing people to enjoy it. And, and where it goes and how it's enjoyed, you know, is, of course, to be determined a little bit. So a couple of things. First, everyone who's watching, listening, um, please, if you have questions, use the Q&A bot button and just lob in your questions. We'll try to get through as many of the good ones as we possibly can. Um, but let's let's step up a level because we jumped right in and uh, we had both of you. And I, I think I just sort of went right in because I'm so passionate about this topic. But let's just step up a little bit to bad robots. So I'm a little bit uh, we're, we're coming up on Halloween. And I'm curious, like, am I going to be buying a Bad Robot costume? Like, you know, is Bad Robot a brand? Like, are, are we going to be walking around with Bad Robot toys? I mean, I know I just saw you put out some collectibles. Like, what what does what JJ and Katie want Bad Robot ultimately to become? Well, so, you know, I think what's exciting is that I'm not sure we know yet, Rich, and, and that's the truth, is we, you know, we've been led by two entrepreneurs who, from the start, felt like the best thing to do was to follow their nose, to follow their instincts, and to be involved in projects and stories that they loved and that it would lead us in that direction. We did last week just um, partner with Mattel and put out the robot and, you know, sort of collectible edition as an experiment to see what was possible. We are absolutely aware as business people that having a relationship with consumers matters. We're absolutely aware that within the core universe of people who like our stuff or the sort of Comic-Con audience, the genre audience that they know bad robot, but we also don't take ourselves too seriously. We know we are relative to others small. Um, hopefully we'll get bigger, um, but small relative to others. And so it could be, it could be that we go further, but we wanted to see how the world reacted. And candidly, it was just fun. Mattel was a great partner. We're really proud of it. It's, it's you know, I think people are going to buy it and enjoy it. And, and, you know, it'll be a collectible they like and where it leads us you know, it doesn't take a you know uh, uh, an MBA from Harvard to conclude that if you if you do that, it's a good thing. Um, but we're not a company run by people with MBAs. We're a company run by creative people who think about what it is they want to build, and so we'll have to follow that path. Maybe just before we go back into gaming in a second, but I, I want to just um, sort of from a high level think about sort of this you know. I think everyone knows how many different things, or maybe they don't even realize how many different categories, JJ and, and Katie, you and the team are involved in, but it's not just TV and movies. Like I think a lot of people think of you being before gaming and Anna, people think of you as TV and movies, but you've, and, and even TV is relatively newer, Brian, from what I think when you first got there, I remember you pitching me on, we're going to build a TV division out versus just having a film division or film focused, but maybe just give everyone a quick overview of sort of like, how many different buckets bad robots in and how do you decide because i I think you're sitting up here as sort of overseeing a lot of the day-to-day business how do you decide where to focus because you know obviously gaming got a whole separate management team but when you think about all the other things that you're going to enumerate how do you devote resources to one versus the other is there like uh what is the actual strategy 
Okay, well, first, let me just correct one thing. The Bad Robot had a robust film and television business that existed far before I arrived that will exist if I'm if I'm not there for any reason whatsoever. And that included Lost and Fringe and Alias and Felicity and Person of Interest and much more and Star Wars and Star Trek and Mission Impossible and Cloverfield and others. So, you know, JJ and Katie built a great company. And when I arrived um, to be a part of their company, I had the benefit of, of connecting to them in a moment where they were thinking about what's next. And it was pretty simple, which was um, one was how do we take film and television, you know, into this sort of new chapter? And, and it was just before streaming took off, but you could feel it. Um, and, you know, we were lucky enough to enter into this crazy time period where, um, you know, tens of billions of dollars were being spent and people who do what we do um, became more valuable. And so we struck a partnership with, with AT&T and um, who is no longer in charge, uh, but our partners at Warner Media. Uh, and um, and it's been great. And we're expanding film and television massively, but we sell and we're independent. D- so- David Zaslov wanted to join, but we told him not yet. You're not ready just yet. Right. He said, I said, I have to wait about a year. There's a, there's, I believe there's some rules there. Um, but yeah. it's great because, you know, we've been able to, to do what we want to do, which was be independent storytellers. You know, we, there's a sort of saying in the company, which is, you don't decide where the story goes. The story sort of tells you. So there are moments where you feel like, it should be a play or it should be a film or it should be a television show. And we have to let that happen. And creatively, that's rewarding. So punchline is we sell um, with Warners as our partner. We can sell to all places. And it's been a you know a really fun run with, with partners like Apple and Netflix and, and, and fundamentally HBO and HBO Max as great partners. And in film, the same thing. Hannah Minghella, um, who was at um, Sony has come over to run our film business with some other great colleagues and we're growing. So wanted to just say film and television is strong and, and getting stronger. What's been fun on top of that um, has been to look at areas where JJ and Katie had invested their time and resources before, but we didn't necessarily build the fundamental muscles to scale them. Some of them are areas we love that shouldn't scale, and some of them have huge markets and huge opportunities. Games was the first that was obvious in that analysis. It needed financing, it needed leadership, and we're off and running. But other areas, you know, we love as well and we're proud of. So, for example, Rich, um, in music, we started a record label. Um, you know, we we partnered with RCA recently and we signed a bunch of artists. And, you know, for us, music is storytelling and we're helping, you know, artists whose names you haven't heard yet, but we hope you'll hear in the future. Uh, and you'll know in the future, break in and, and, and do great things. And we're excited about that. Amazingly enough, we were not in the animated business. Um, we now have a pretty robust animated slate. We recruited a, a great executive, John Agbaje from FX, and, and Disney's come over to, to build that. We had, didn't have a docuseries business. We launched a docuseries at Netflix called Challenger, which did really well, The Final Flight, about the Challenger disaster. And we have one coming out on Showtime called UFO, which is crushing it online with views. So we're really hopeful for that one. But that was still sort of core film and TV. Um, uh, and then we sort of kept going. JJ uh, and the company had produced before my arrival, a show off the West End called The Play That Goes Wrong. Shockingly, because Broadway is impossible, it did well. It traveled. Uh, it got shut down a little bit during COVID, but we're hopeful for it to continue. We have a show, The Magic Show That Goes Wrong. We did a show with Darren Brown. Um, and we hired a great team in New York, and we're going to go figure out that business. So we, you know, have Loud Robot and Bad Robot Games, and what we're calling for now Bad Robot Live. We'll see what that becomes. Um, and then, you know, an animated business and a docuseries business, and then this little experiment with the robot itself. So, you know, at the core of it all, though, and is we're building all these capabilities led by great people. They're all divisions of the company, with the exception of Games, which is a separate entity. Um, and we're having a great time where people are interacting and focusing on one thing. We're not trying to build rich infrastructure that's not about storytelling. We're just trying to do what we do in every category, which is tell good stories. Why was I, it so important? Okay, oh, sorry. I was just going to ask how intertwined these separate divisions are. When, when you think about um, launching a, a music business, clearly you have a games division and you have television and movies to to help break artists. How important is that to the strategy? I mean, I think we look at every, every area 
as it needs to stand on its own two feet, meaning if, if Anna and her team only told original stories that we could succeed on our own as a result of that, and that the motivation was how great that would be to come up with new original stories to tell or new songs to tell or new Broadway plays to tell. However, um, the idea that, that um, someone in theater is where the next great television showrunner arrives or that a sound engineer from the TV or film space or a visual effects supervisor can work with the games team or that as we often say, people in film and TV and games are all on the Unreal Engine doing different things. Those skill sets germinate. It's bringing writers in early um, to the games process. It's, it's all that stuff. It's incredibly fun. Um, we think it's going to make a difference, Brandon. I guess time will tell. Um, as for, you know, the promotion of, like, of course, that's part of the puzzle, which is to, to put our music into our shows when it works. It's not our choice. There are showrunners and writers and creators. But when it's organic and if we do our job, it'll make sense. And if it doesn't, if it's not right for the show, the song won't go there. Uh, if it's not right for the game, the song won't go there. And if it is, because we do our job, it'll figure itself out. So, yes, we... We look for that, but we're not like a synergy company. We're a company that has, you know, really creative people. And we're also not that big. So we know each other and we work together and, and we're pretty sure some pretty cool collaborations will come out of it. Anna, um, can you talk a little bit about how you see your relationship um, developing with some of these more, I'll call them metaverse um, platforms like Roblox and like, it, well, hold on. It only took us 28 minutes to get the word metaverse into I, this. I, I want to say I did not say I, the word metaverse. I very specifically said metaverse. Metaverse. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so for me, I think all of them, all of these platforms are opportunities to tell stories. And it's just about matching the story you want to tell with the platform that you're telling it on. And so, you know, as we think about IP in the future, whether that's IP that we create originally within Bad Robot Games, or we're working with our colleagues on the rest from the rest of Bad Robot to bring into games, like it's just about just matching the story. And I think all of these platforms have different kinds of communities, different kinds of expectations for how stories get told. And so for me, they're all awesome, they're, but they're just all different. And so as we are evaluating every story we want to tell, we'll pick the one that feels most natural for that IP and that story. In the current moment, do you see those platforms, specifically Roblox, as a marketing vehicle for other IP? And do you think that some of your other IP will sit on that platform? Um, or are you thinking about it in terms of making standalone um, games that monetize on their own or I mean, experiences I, that monetize on their own? I'd say both and all of the above. And we love it. I mean, what's not to love about what Roblox is building? Of course, we reach out and we talk to them and we learn. And whether something becomes linear there or seems further away or there's characters to drop in. But again, we have the same formula, which is, you know, our response is who is great at making stuff on Roblox? Can we meet them? Because the combination right. of those talented creators well, with us and a great platform like Roblox leads to great things. You know, we like all of it is good. And, and so from where we sit, we want, we kind of just want everyone to succeed and we will get in the weeds and we're not in a rush. We do not need to be first somewhere, right? We want to like make it good, make sure people care about it, make sure they want it, which means you call places like Roblox and every other place that's coming up and say, tell me more and let me learn. And you get your act together and you come back in with good creators. But yeah, I mean, I'd say both, but I'm sure Anna has something to add to that too. Well, the thing I would say is we are, we are trying to resist at every moment, ever thinking about it as marketing. Like we, we want to tell great stories. And so if we're on any of these platforms, Roblox, you know, doing something in Fortnite, whatever, um, we want it to be because it's authentically a really awesome place to tell that story um, and not because we're just trying to bring a particular IP to a particular community. Like we should be doing it because because it's awesome and because it's a great thing for that platform. So like I don't want to I don't want to crap on other people's IP, but like, you know, when I look at something like in the Heights on Roblox, 
I don't think they were making world's best Roblox game. They were doing, I mean, effectively, I think they were doing marketing for the movie. And I haven't seen the Stranger Thing. I haven't dug into the Stranger Things experience, but I, I do think that a lot of Hollywood, broadly speaking, I'm not calling out specific people, but I think broadly Hollywood has looked at it as marketing versus what you both just said, which is making the best possible game or interactive media experience you possibly can. Yeah, I think there can be lighter touch versions of it. I don't think it necessarily has to be like going really deep and, you know, building out a whole universe in order for it to not be marketing. I think it's all about making it something that the fans love and is authentically a great expression of that IP. Like when we were experimenting really early at at Valve with hats in Team Fortress 2, like that was one of the earliest cross-medium examples. And if you bought a game on Steam, you would get a associated hat to wear on your character in Team Fortress 2. And the community loved it. It got to let them express the game, the other games they loved on the Steam platform to the community that they played Team Fortress 2 with. And so I think that the main thing is to treat it as its own expression of the IP and really think about it in that context. And then it could be a smaller piece that you're doing or you know a larger fully built out universe on that platform. Yeah. I, I think that'll just very quickly, that leads to the natural question is, do you think that brand new IP will, you know, come off of that, um, of those platforms and become bigger trans, trend, I don't want to say transmedia because um, <laughs> you don't like that expression, but um, <laughs> but properties that live on other platforms as opposed to vice versa. I mean, we absolutely do, and we expect it to happen. And I think, you know, broader discussion, but in in an environment where streamers are buying global rights, not just us, but every producer or every creator is looking for ways to incubate something that they own and control. If your goal is just to own the IP, you're going to fail. If your goal is to, like, actually create something that works on Roblox or any other platform, whether it's YouTube or Snap or any, any platform of consumption in any form, you have to create an endemic to that platform. And so we assume completely that things will move, but we're not doing it, you know, it's not it's not management through PowerPoint, like, oh, here's the monetization wheel. It's, okay, we have an idea or someone else has an idea that we love. It feels like the idea belongs here. Let's make it great for that place, which is a massive difference than the other side of my brain, which is like, pick the nine places to monetize and let's go. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it works a whole bunch. But for us, because of the nature of the company we are, it is not that. It is very much, you know, not worrying about what it might become somewhere else or how to monetize it in five places. It's literally, how do we get the thing? How do we get the story? How do we get the idea to work in a place it it, it should? Um, And that is a very different process in terms of how you approach it, timeline, expectations for me patience level which is not easy um but it is it is really a different way to think about this stuff um and it's how we do it so bad robot interactive um i think it was one of the first sort of hollywood attempts to sort of do something really interesting in the app store early on i was one of the the early early apps that i remember downloading and being able to take sort of sending missiles into my living room um, with with bed row. But, but I asked the question because, you know, it was a paid, you know, it was a paid you know, in-app purchase and you had to pay for like 99 cents for each yeah. incremental feature. And, and sort of and this is a long winded way of getting at where I'm going, which is, you know, I'm thinking about what Netflix just did. And Brian, you obviously dealt with Netflix a lot on the movie and TV side, seeing them going into games and sort of, hey, say, hey, there's a lot of paid, you know, you know, pay to play games. Maybe we can sort of change the model and shift to a subscription business that gives massive global reach to games. I guess I'd be curious for both of your perspectives in terms of, you know, Netflix has gone into multiple businesses now and sort of changed the model from, you know, ownership to access. Can it work in games? So for, I'll go first. <laughs> I, I don't even know who goes first. Like it's it's uh, such a big topic. Like you know, it's and it's not even just limited to Netflix. Rich, I mean, it's I obviously yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go third. So, uh, so for sorry. Me, when I'm thinking about monetization for games, I think there's two things that are really important. One, 
it has to be sustainable for the developer. Like the developer who built it has to make money so that they can keep making awesome games. That would seem important. And then the other is that it it feels authentic to the game itself. And so I think it, I think it can sometimes be hard to like just blanket say like we're doing subscription or we're doing you know free to play with in app purchase. Like I think you have to match that monetization to the game. And and as long as it feels like it fits with the way users want to play the game, then the game will make money and it will, you know, also it has to be a good game, but those things have to, those things have to match. Um, and so I think it's really important just to think about the types of games that would go into a particular monetization model, not necessarily that one is better or worse than another. I mean, what type of games do you think would fit well um, on a Netflix subscription? To me, I think about it as, you know, sort of first person um, uh, or sorry, single player games that have a beginning and an end probably fits best um, with the type of experiences that you already see on Netflix. Um, do you think that's uh, a a platform to have um, big multiplayer games. They've already said that they're not going to monetize through microtransactions or advertising. So that kind of limits the pool, I would think. I don't know. I think it's hard to say. I think, you know, one of the things with any new platform entering the mix is it should, the best case scenario is it gives devs the opportunity to innovate. Like we saw this at Facebook when we were doing VR everybody started in VR of like, let's just take that game and port it to VR. And it wasn't, it wasn't right. It didn't. It didn't I, I remember work. all of those games on the early Oculus. And so I, you know, the thing that, that Facebook and Oculus did is they came in and they gave developers a bunch of time and money to like really invest in figuring out what was right for VR. Um, and now we have this sort of next generation of, of VR titles and they're amazing and they're not ever the thing we could have predicted, but developers had the time to figure out what was the right thing for that platform. And so when I think about like, what's going to work for Netflix, it's, it's hard to say, like, I think the best it, thing. It may is, not even, it may not even exist yet is exactly. what you're saying. It, it may the, be games that you might not have invested in because you couldn't have afforded or could you couldn't, you, you were too fearful of even creating that type of a game. Rich, if you look at the last 10 years of like every platform in every category from traditional video streaming to short form video to online gaming, the only thing we know every time is that what works is not what we thought was going to work at the start. And we're surprised by the success. You know, the thing we think is going to nail it does not. The thing that we didn't even know about emerges. Um, and platforms develop their own sensibility. We are super biased when we say this, but it's in Anna's answer, which is, let the storytellers and the innovators and the programmers have access and think about it and something will emerge. So we just need like great buyers, great distributors to give us all time and good things end up happening. And, and if you look at it as like a, you know, a huge short-term marketing play and you're the distributor, probably a lot of pressure on yourself. If you look at it as like, you know, we're a big giant platform and there are a whole lot of people who play games and our instincts are, it feels more, you know, Brandon, if you're a right first person shooter than something else. Oh, let's sort single of let, player. Oh, yeah. Single player, single yeah. player. Then, I, let, let, then, then, then let's see how it plays out. That's kind of what, you know, we as creators want to hear. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully the ones we put out are ones that fit. But we know, like, you don't really know until it happens. But you got to pick the places you trust because uh, it takes forever for these things to come to life. Does, does the embracing of technology that you sort of just sort of and, and thinking about the future, does it play into why, you know, Bad Robot broadly took a very different approach to sort of the pretty seismic changes in Hollywood over the course of the past, you know, six to nine months? Like there was obviously a, a lot of blowback around Warner Brothers and everything that happened with sort of changing windows. And, you know, now it seems like everybody is shortening and condensing windows. But it, it seems like Bad Robot took a pretty tech forward approach to it. If maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but it, it seemed to, at least from our perspective, that you looked at it differently than others. I mean, I think a lot of people looked at it differently. And I think certain louder voices got attention when others didn't. I mean, 
our perspective is we're going to make something and we're going to want people to enjoy it. And if they enjoy it, good things will happen. Like the sort of economics tend to follow somehow, whether it's a short, a small film that everybody watches or, or discovers later on or some big giant film or television show that they do. If, you, if people love it, it figures itself out. And if they don't, it doesn't matter how good a salesperson you are. I think in that context, we understand that, you know, consumers want to consume content in different places. You can't make them do things. Um, you know, I went and saw Space Jam with my son in a theater. There were not a lot of people there. We wore masks um, and it was great. And, you know, but we, and then he went home the next night and watched it with his sister at home. He loved it there. Like, we're not here to, we're honestly not here to predict or prognosticate what's going to happen. It is the most boring answer, but it's true. Honestly, if it's good, it'll work. Now, are those headwinds? No, but, but, but you sort of did just answer it, though. Like, let's just be honest. You went to the theater, you took your son, and it was empty. I mean, we've all had that experience over the course of the last couple of months that it's pretty empty. And so, but there are ways of getting content in front of lots of people all around the world and people are consuming it, right? We, I mean, you've seen the global explosion of SVOD. I mean, absolutely. And like all, you know, again, we have a biased perspective, but like all people in the theatrical business, there is something magical to sitting in the theater. There is something wonderful to that, you know, collaborative experience. It, it needs not exist in place of other options, but, you know, we hope it does. And we intend to put out good films that want people want to go see together. And, you know, if there wasn't a Delta variant and we were headed in a certain direction, would it be sure. different? I don't know, maybe. But our position is not one right or the, or the other's wrong. Our position is like, we got to make good movies. People are going to watch them in different places. And do we want theatrical to work? Of course we do. Do we think it's special as, as filmmakers? Do we love that? Absolutely. Um but, you know, I think that's our that's our approach to all these issues is, is, again, just make the thing. But it does seem like COVID changed something. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, changes and behavior. And, you know, I, look, I think gaming was exploding pre-COVID and people were investing more and more time in it. But something happened during COVID that is tangible and meaningful that I think it's it's hard to ignore when you're having this sort of holistic media discussion in terms of, you know, how you think about distribution and content. I mean, gaming's exploded, right? And people are certainly spending more time. TV ratings I and mean, the Olympic ratings are not doing well. But like I was trying to tell someone today, it's not just the Olympics. It's everything is suffering in TV. Like this is it's not NBC's fault. It's like TV is just becoming less of a focus for consumers. But on the other hand, streaming is becoming far more of a focus. And going to movies was already weakening before COVID, um, but streaming is exploding. So like, it, I guess it just seems like with the way you're thinking sort of broadly, um, the, you know, gaming seems to be an area where you can put more and more focus because that's where the consumer is heading and adapting more to streaming seems right up your alley because you've got so many ways of attacking that and don't seem to have sort of the historic, what I would call religion around how content is consumed. I mean, I would say it another way, which is worth, we are constantly, and this starts with JJ's curiosity and Katie's curiosity. We're thrilled by what's new. We're excited yeah. about the new stuff. And we're, we tend to not, you know, they're humble people. Even when we tell them not to be, they're humble people as NNOs and it's the humility of the company. And so they tend not to look about what was done in the past and, and think about where we sit going forward. And if that's your perspective, then I don't really think you have a choice. I mean, you know, you're not like, you know, you know, going to hold on with every last, you know, ounce of, you're going to say, I love these things. And I also understand that like, you know, of course um, we want to be in the games business. And even if you look at streaming numbers and music, we just started, we're, you know, a, a, a small label, but we hope we grow. Um, but, you know, you'd be, you'd be a bad business person to not look at those numbers and say, what if we did do a good job? What would that look like? Uh, and so I think that stuff, is, you know, if you're curious and you care and you like this stuff, you're going to do it. Um, so I, I don't I don't honestly view it as, you know, that our opinion or, you know, that we look at it as like strong one way or the other. I think it's how could you not be interested in where the world is going? Sticking on SFOD a little bit, when you when you have an idea for um, a television, quote, television show or, or film, um, how, how do you decide what um, what streaming platform 
that belongs on. How do you analyze the differences between the platforms and your relationship to them? Well, I mean, I don't decide. That's the first thing. Uh, we have a team of great people who do. Oh, I, um, uh, JJ, leading the way. But we look, we have partners at Warner's and and who are on the studio side, and we're obviously close, incredibly close to the team there. It, it's it's a really hard thing to explain, Brandon, because as someone who spent my life as a business person next to creative people, it's that sort of like softening the air of like, this show feels like it belongs here. And there's no like, like spreadsheet that someone's running that says X many subscribers versus this overlap of people in these territories. Like it is really the soft touch of who the executives are, how you feel about the show. In every case, what the creator or showrunner or writer feels. And it's those mix of very subjective, very creative factors um, that are not driven by a single um, spreadsheet that says, do it here. Um, and that has literally been, and again, look, as someone like me, you want to show the numbers, but it's just not how it works. And so you have to like, you know, have that instinct and you trust it. And sometimes you're right, but more often or not, I've been lucky enough to be the company here at Bad Robot, where more often than not, they've been they've been right and not wrong about where it belongs. Yeah, look, the, the, the thing that we struggle with is, you know, the reach of the content, right? I mean, each of these platforms is so different in terms of what they can bring to bear that we always think about like, you know, is less money from a wider, like how important is reach? You know, I, I, if Roger Goodell was sitting here, right, the, the most important thing to the NFL is reach. And like, they will even take less dollars to try to keep their content on broadcast because it's so important to have that kind of reach. I know this is obviously very different. And there's a lot more pieces of content. It's just something we struggle with is like the, the balance between dollars and reach. Look, just be, if you're on the biggest platform, sometimes it's hard to be discovered. And if you're on the smallest platform, you can be the most important thing that you just don't know. You know, we have we had a docu this docu series I referenced on on Netflix, Challenger. We loved it. We assumed nobody would watch it. It's a historical doc on you know that tragedy, and it turned out it was like number one on Netflix for a short period of time. We were delighted, but did we know? No, we have big shows that we love like like Westworld and had Lovecraft Country, which people loved on, on HBO and, and films that are obviously going to be big and those that will be smaller. I think the truth is whether it's a giant platform and they promote it or it's a smaller platform and it's dropped in there, you are going to be surprised. Like you cannot predict the outcome unless it's a massive piece of IP and you can sort of be like, it's somewhere between here and here. And oh, by the way, that range is usually pretty big, um, you know, but so maybe you have some some predictive mechanisms, but it is just really hard to know. So that's our approach, Rich, is it's we're not factoring in that we're sort of factoring in. I, I think this feels right. And there's that, you know, there's that subjective piece to it that I think really makes a difference. I think we have a question, actually, that I want to ask you first one. Um, Anna, or I think this is targeted at Anna, although certainly Brian can chime in. Could we see Misha's world from Lovecraft Country continue via gaming instead of video content? Would you ever pull a series because the story format might be more immersive on gaming or an unexpected uh, platform? I think, uh, well, I, I do think that would be an incredible thing to see in interactive. Uh, we, um, I think it really is, it's truly about matching the story to the format. Um, my hope is that any story we tell inherently crosses mediums um, and that there are different expressions of it in different mediums. Um, but I think we would, we start with, we try to always start with what is the best medium for this. And so uh, as we look at, I mean, I think one of the hardest parts of my job is going to be figuring out which of the many incredible universes that the bad robot side of that of the team are building that we will mm -hmm. work on in games there's there's so many and they are all very awesome <laughs> and there's only so many that we're going to be able to do on the game side and so for me that's really it's the hard part and the fun part of where are we going to start and which of these universes are we going to explore together so Anna, um, I know you you come from um, Facebook before, and specifically Oculus. And both Rich and I were listening to interview with Zuck um, from I guess it was Thursday or Friday of last week, where 
he said that Facebook's future was as a metaverse company. And now just... Brandon trying to get the metaverse word count up as high as possible on this interview. No, and, and now Facebook, I'm seeing just announced a, a metaverse product group. And so just wanted to kind of get your perspective on, first of all, like looking at Facebook as a, a siloed um, platform and how that sort of um, the metaverse will evolve um, as either, you know, individual siloed platforms as or as um, something more open um, like the like the internet and how you see Facebook's role um, in the development of the metaverse. So I think, I think it's going to take all of us, the larger sort of media technology gaming segment to figure out what the metaverse is. I think that it's such a big dream and such a big goal. Like we all have to figure out collectively what it's going to be and how we're going to get there. Honestly, if I was going to pick one company that like made the biggest impact on getting us closer to the metaverse in the last year, I would actually pick Zoom. Um, because for me, the because we're doing this on Zoom as we speak. <laughs> also that, but no, because for me, like one of the big hurdles of getting to the metaverse is getting people to like really embrace and get excited about connecting to people online. And all of us who've played games our whole life, we we all have that friend that we met in World of Warcraft or we met in Ultima Online in my case. Like we all have those friendships and relationships that we built online. And so for us, it's kind of a no-brainer that we're going to get to the metaverse and keep doing that. But when you're looking at people who didn't grow up with games, particularly online games, the way the rest of us have, I think some people have had difficulty imagining like, what if, what if all of my social interactions were through an online medium? And so this last year, we all had to do it. We all had to figure it out. And so whether it was Zoom or Google Meet or whatever your preferred video conference platform is, like we all just took collectively a giant step forward of figuring out what the metaverse might look like and feel like where we're connecting to people we care about through this virtual medium. And so I think, I think it's going to take all of us to keep collectively moving that ball forward and figuring out what, what the metaverse is actually going to feel like and be an experience for all of us to have together someday. Yeah. The, the challenge, I guess, is just, you know, media companies historically have had such a focus around building their own worlds you know like you know you look at D disney's battening down the hatches right like they're putting up the, the the walls are erecting around disney content and you know you see the same things you know maybe not as stringent with warner brothers and yes there's players that are purely an arms dealer like sony but we're definitely building up our walls to try to keep everything we do internal you know, and, and, you know, when I was listening to Zuck, like he definitely seemed concerned that that would be the natural tendency in sort of the these interactive media world or whatever you want to call this this world that we're moving into. And it, obviously that, you know, it stops innovation, you know, like, can you take an item, you know, if you buy the bad robot, you know, collectible in one game and one platform in Roblox, I can't bring it into Fortnite. I'm not saying I would want to, but I'm just making that up as an example. I mean, I think, you know, we were actually talking about this with Jacob a little bit on the, you know, on Twitter spaces the other night that I think Anna, you were part of like this, this is like a really tough topic. I think that everyone's going to, I agree. Everyone's gonna have to figure it out. I, I just worry that the natural tendency is always to sort of want to own and control the whole thing versus sort of build something more open, like the internet, like Brendan was describing. Yeah, I think there are just there are so many pieces that go into the metaverse. Like there's technology, there's identity, there's IP, like there's there's just so many collective pieces and no one no one has the roadmap for how this is going to emerge. And so I do think like the more we can collaborate and innovate together, uh the faster we will get there. I'm, you know, inevitably, you know, people will try and 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 build walled gardens, but you know, I think the more we can resist that in these early phases, the faster we'll get there because it's just going to take a massive amount of innovation across a variety of different verticals. So probably the single biggest opportunity at Warner Media, which I know you have a 
very large relationship with is the reinvigoration of DC Comics. And I'm not putting the entire future of DC on JJ and Katie and Brian and Anna's shoulders, but it's obviously really important. Um, if you look at the success that Marvel's had, um, it's it's sort of incredible over the last decade. Um, maybe just spend a minute, Brian, and, and talk about, and Anna, if there's parts of it that, that Bed Robot Games is thinking about as well, but maybe Brian, if you could just sort of like, sort of how do you see your role and what are you, what, where are you involved that you can talk about publicly in trying to take, um, to, to reinvigorate DC? I mean, first of all, it's an incredibly exciting challenge and opportunity to be a part of, to be a part of it in different ways. And, you know, the public stuff that I can share is that we're lucky enough to be a part of the next kind of generation of Superman. And we partnered with uh ta Coates um, and we're thrilled and that's coming and hopefully that'll be meaningful and, and we'll sort of match the ambition that we have for it. But, you know, I love Superman as an individual and we as a company love it. And it's just an incredible opportunity to do that. So that's down the road. And if we can do our part there, hopefully that helps the rest of it. The second piece, which, you know, is, is, public, but not quite as well known, which we're so excited about is, is Justice League Dark. So there's a whole section of Justice League, which is sort of more mystical characters than the ones we tend to know from way back when. Uh, and so we're thinking about that, you know, as brand stewards alongside our partners at DC and Warners, where we're thinking about film and television. And we've announced publicly Zatanna with Emerald Fennel, who uh, you know, won a screenwriting Oscar for Promising Young Woman as the writer. And we've got uh, shows like Madame X and Constantine, which we're public about, uh, and more to come. But we look at that entire universe of Justice League Dark as a great opportunity to, uh, you know, be, be a part of the solution and help figure it out. So now, look, it's uh, it's super fun, but we're in the middle of trying to figure it out and we're having a good time doing it. And go back to Brandon's sort of original question, sort of original IP versus IP that you partner with. How do you balance that? Because obviously you could do a project where you, you know, again, you work with Anna, you develop and you own the IP from its inception in, in all forms, or you work with sort of somebody else's IP in this case, you know, Warner Brothers. Like, how do you decide like whether that's a good use of time and energy versus, you know, fully original? Well, I mean, first of all, I think the bar is just really high, which is driven by JJ's own expectations and goals for, for what he should be telling and what we should be doing. Uh, and so, you know, it's sort of like if it's undeniably great and it's a writer you just met or it's an idea that we had or it's a you know piece of IP that we all know and love. Um, and I, and I, again, there's no sort of like analysis of like X percent original, Y percent, um, you know, no owned IP. Um, but there is a moment where you go like, nah, we've been doing a bunch of stuff and we should focus elsewhere. But look, at, at HBO and HBO Max, we publicly have shows called Duster, which JJ is writing with Latoya Morgan and, and Demimon, which he is a co-writer and subject to change and others, which are original um, alongside big stuff that's IP driven. And so I think if you are prolific and you have a high bar, you end up doing a mix, but there's no analysis that drives you know, hey, we had too many of this kind. Um, but you could be in that IP business all day, clearly, um, if you didn't stop for a second and said, wait a second, I know this stuff is there and it's available, but at our core, we want to tell stuff that we've created and that we love and it's from writers whose names you may not know who have ideas that we love that we're going to get out into the world. So it's deliberate, but it's not, you know, mechanical or driven by some Excel document. Well, it's just about time to wrap up. It's it's um, about 5.30. Maybe Brian or Anna or both, if you could just tell us some of the most important launches or IP pieces of IP that are coming from Bad Robots, Bad Robot in the next year that we should kind of look out for. Anna, do you want me to, would you like me to go or do you want to? Yes, you go. <laughs> I just I just rattled through Every, everyone. Everyone needs to have their list of like what is exactly. most important to add to their watch list, Brian. So this is basically how we fill up watch, watch lists. List, so playlist, playlist. Yeah, list. exactly. 
What um, are we adding? I'd like to mention stuff that's not just. You can't like all your children. You have to pick some of your children I mean, as I'm, favorites. I'm gonna. I will give you my personal perspective too, as well. As I know the dog is not your favorite now. I, I know the dog is definitely low down. That is true. I am allergic to my new dog, as we discussed before. But, you know, look, we're really excited about this docuseries UFO, which is coming out on Showtime. We hope people love it. Uh, and we have an enormous amount of exciting television production from the Justice League Dark stuff we talked about to shows like Duster and Demi Mond and Subject to Change. We have a show on Apple now called Lissies with, that we made with Stephen King that we love. Westworld's coming back out. Um, I mean, we don't love everyone the same, but we certainly love them a lot. And they have great creators. Um, we're making a movie right now for Netflix called Lou, um, which is shooting in Vancouver. We hope that uh, is something people love. And then we have all that exciting film stuff. Star Trek we dated recently, um, a public Cloverfield we've announced, and of course, uh, Superman. So um, I'm answering with a very long playlist over a long period of time, but I promise you, um, something in there, uh, you know, we hope you'll love. Most of that content we'll see in 22 that you just reeled off. No, no, it'll be, it'll be over, a, over a set of years. Uh, and then we got great artists in music and we have played when Broadway's up and running. And if we can get through this kind of Delta variant moment, we'll hopefully have a lot to share there too. And maybe Anna just on games. We unfortunately have not announced yet anything coming from the battle of game side, although we have, quite a slate of things in production um so more to come that soon. we that, that we will see in 22 or you think that's too ambitious it'll be more like 23 how soon will we start to see i think there's a chance you'll see something in in 22 okay so we'll come back and we can have you on again and we can actually talk about what actually is playable sometime in the next 12 to 18 months um thank you both for joining us this was great it was a fun to explore the world that jj katie and you all are building so thank you for taking time Thank you for having us. Take care. Bye, guys.